For the past several Tuesdays, a diligent group of folks have gathered together, via Zoom, of course, to discuss Robin D'Angelo's provocative book called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. It's been both an enlightening and maddening read for many of us. Enlightening as we discover the many ways systemic racism is all around us and how our naivete about it only allows it to deepen its hold and maddening because of the writer's endless propensity to create lists of systems and behaviors surrounding systemic racism, when we better appreciate spending more time on each item. And each week we're faced with the greater realization and, and deepening challenge. Racism is pretty much all around us. As the saying goes, fish don't know the water's wet, and we're literally swimming in it. And since the vast majority of us are, the privileged, are at the privileged end of this structural racism, we've been allowed to ignore it and keep swimming. As D'Angelo raises the stakes each week and heightens our awareness around racism, we find ourselves repeating the question, what can I do? You see, it's so pervasive, and racism dis disguises itself and evolves in so many ways, we all feel overwhelmed and powerless. And as one of the leaders of these Zoom conversations, I wish I could provide an answer to this question. What can I do? I try to reaffirm that our first job is awareness, which is what we're doing, and hope that something realizes itself in the process, some kind of response. And it's true, awareness is certainly the first step. But I am haunted by the question, what can I do? A closer reading of today's gospel from Matthew might begin to provide the answer. The reading, The Feeding of the 5,000, is the only one of Jesus' miracle stories that can be found in each one of the four gospels. So it clearly was important to the early followers of the, of the church. It raises the question, what makes it so important? It's got several of the hallmarks of Jesus' miracle stories. He retreats to a deserted place, the same kind of place that Satan tempted him several chapters earlier, the same kind of place where John the Baptist stayed and baptized him. These deserted places carried great power, connecting all the way back to the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're a place of temptation, of rebellion, and finally, of redemption. The crowds hungering for Jesus' words so much that they insist on following him into the, this deserted place. And we're told he has compassion on them and heals their sick. The day starts to turn into night. And what happens next is why I think this story is so important to the followers of the early church and possibly key to answering the question we face today. What can I do? The disciples are concerned about nightfall. They want Jesus to send the crowds home so that they can have something to eat. He tells them they need not go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, in many Bibles, this story carries the heading of something like Jesus feeds the 5,000. But in fact, it's not Jesus doing the feeding. It's the disciples. In a very real way, they create the miracle. They make the five loaves and two fish feed the 5,000 and more with 12 baskets full of leftovers. 
And it's very clear in this reading that the disciples are doing the work, the miracle-making here. We're told that Jesus takes the loaves and the two fish, he looks toward heaven, he blesses the loaves and breaks them, and then, quote, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. You see, Jesus is entrusting the disciples to do God's work, and they do it in spite of their doubts and questions and concerns. When faced with the very real challenge of what can I do, they just start doing. They distribute the bread. I think this spoke to the early members of the church, uh, the members of the early church in a profound and important way, which is why this story appears in all the gospels. Even though their founder is no longer present, they can trust that when they follow his lead, God will be present. Miracles will happen. Miracles like the improbable survival of Christianity in the face of constant threats from the Roman Empire, and the survival of this religion nearly 2,000 years later, following the death of its founder. And it's spread around the world, touching our ancestors and ourselves. And even in the miracle of us being able to gather together virtually in spite of a global pandemic. And even possibly miracles like the answer to the question, what can I do in regards to systemic racism? We listen, we believe, we wait for the Spirit to show us, and then we act. I've heard several sermons on this particular scripture passage or its counterpart in one of the other Gospels. Preachers seem to be particularly focused on the mechanics of the miracle. Was it a miracle of generosity, where the crowd moved by the generosity of the providers of the two fish and the five loaves, open up their own secret stash of goodies to their neighbors and all are fed? Or is it a miracle of the matriarchs, where no self-respecting Near Eastern Jewish mother would be caught dead traveling without food for her family? When it came time to eat, they simply brought out their stash and there was more than enough to share. Both of these approaches are interesting and and entertaining, but I wonder if they miss the point. They certainly don't account for the importance of this story to the early church. You see, by concentrating on the logistics of the miracles, the how of them, these explanations miss the why of the story. The disciples are doing the miracles themselves. With God's blessing, they have agency. They tap directly into God's enormous miracle-making power. In Matthew's Gospel, this story comes immediately after the murder of John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus and the disciples go into this deserted place to mourn Jesus, John's death. Their miracle-making work grows out of death and of grief. Peggy and I participated in a discussion about grief with our fellow Central Convocation clergy this past week. The Reverend Elizabeth McKeever from St. Michael's walked us through a presentation on our collective grief as we all face the loss of what was normal. See, we are all grieving the loss of something these days. Think about it. Almost every day feels like there's a new loss. A favorite coffee shop, a restaurant closed, The start date of the school year postponed or moved online. New fears about traveling. And yes, churches staying closed. 
not to mention the very real grief we feel from those who, those directly impacted by the virus. Grief is all around. It's become a part of the air we breathe. And it can all become a bit too overwhelming. Again, we struggle with the question, what can I do? Matthew's Gospel gives us a roadmap for handling the overwhelming parts of our lives, wherever they are. Whether they're about racism and how black lives matter, or grief over the disappearance of our familiar way of navigating day-to-day life. The ro- this roadmap was what the early Christians needed as they faced persecution and an unclear future. It's what we need as we, too, face an unclear future, fraught with anxieties. First, we find our deserted place to mourn. Far from being a place of desolation, it's a sacred place where we honor our grief. We honor our apparent helplessness. It's a place where we begin the healing. It's a place of connection to God. Then we receive God's blessing. We receive it in the sacrament of the breaking of the bread, whether we're receiving it in person or on screen. It's God's blessing that's coming to us. Then we go out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. It's what we say in our post-communion prayer, and it's what we're called to do. We're called to act. Knowing we are supported by God's immense power, we can be unstoppable. No force, not racism, not authoritarianism, not the virus, cannot not be overcome. With God, the question isn't, what can I do? The question is, what can't I do? Thanks be to God. Amen.